Welcome to the Good Doctrine Podcast, where we believe that good doctrine establishes good living. I'm Sean Pasley. And I'm Josh Howard on episode dot 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 86 of Good Doctrine Podcast. So um, welcome. We're, uh, we're thrilled to, to be doing the Good Doctrine Podcast. We do have an announcement as far as our upcoming episode slate. I'm going to be um, in and out, and I know Sean's going to be in and out a little bit in May, not nearly as much as I am, but uh, just with all the scheduling conflicts and stuff, we're taking a maycation. Mm. So for the month of May, you will have a, a notice, noticeable absence of, of good doctrine, um, at least for a podcast, but we do hope that you'll continue um, studying and growing and all those things. Uh, take that time to discover some other good podcasts around you. Um, we've we've recommended several on the podcast, and maybe toward the end of this program, we can we can try to recommend a, another couple just to yeah. to tide you over while you're going through withdrawal symptoms uh, from this podcast until June hits. That's good. You know, there's a there's a lot out there, but we will. And I think at one point, months and months months ago, or even maybe a couple years ago, we shared like a really long list of all you know these good podcasts. Mm-hmm. But you know. I can uh, set up a schedule where we kind of share some more stuff on our Facebook page uh, for you can to, for you to see. I realized just now that every time I say we'll put this on the Facebook page, I don't. Yeah, we don't. <laughs> so I take think a cue you... from me and just be that old man that's uh, that's just socially social media inept. Well, and, that's uh, just, all right. Just settle into it. We need to we need to hire an assistant or something to take care of our social media. If needs. you would like to come and work for us for free, yeah. I think that's usually called an unpaid internship. Or indentured servitude. Yes. So come on and <laughs> help the, us out at Good Doctrine. What's the difference? Yeah. Have, you, have you seen that um, that video? It's like a quick little meme. I forget who made it, but it's like the church intern. And it's like a, oh, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the start of a, the sitcom. And it, you know, it shows all the things that he does. You know, he's a, he's a janitor. He's a on yeah. everything. And then he's, a, yeah. he's laying on the floor. He's a doormat. Anyway, it's hilarious. Pretty good. Uh, we will... I will say that we're going to share that on our Facebook page, and then we won't. But anyway, uh, maybe you know the the uh, the intern that wants to come and do that. Can we do know it. you're out there. We see that hand. <laughs> yeah. um, let's talk about what's in the news. Usually, uh, our in the news segment is uh, somewhat anemic, and by design, we don't want to we don't want to just go into the news too much. But you know, we're talking about about this last episode before we take a little month, not even really a full month, but before we take this little three week break from Good Doctrine. And we were talking about all the news developments. Sometimes I feel like we say things that people aren't aware are issues. And Uh and what I mean by that is like, you know, so for example, we'll talk about standing firm in the faith, um, you know, being prepared for the storms that are brewing on the horizon, being rooted and grounded for the challenges that are like they're facing. What challenges? Exactly. Yeah. Like, well, I'm not really facing any of those. I don't know exactly what you're referring to. So just a couple of examples. And all this all this was was. As I was going through my news feed this week, I just jotted down a couple that stuck out to me. Yeah. So these are all from this week, um, but let's go through a couple of them. The first article that I saw was, again, from Canada. Uh, we've we've followed uh, the James Coates situation and uh, Grace Life Church there in Canada, in Edmonton or, or Alberta province. Um, that was that was one situation in Canada. Canada's had a couple of other situations, but this is this is one that that came to to my uh, to my news feed was it's uh, the 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 title that I saw was another church in Canada has been forcibly closed for defying lockdown orders. This one's about Trinity Bible Chapel in Ontario. Um, they have refused to close. And if you're not keeping up with the situation in Canada, the reason churches are facing such 
um, strong opposition, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Their opposition, the opposition from the government has teeth in Canada that, uh, that I think a lot of us have been surprised at. How is the government able to do these things? Well, there's con- constitutional stipulations in Canadian government that says under a public health crisis, the government can essentially... Do what they want. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, essentially, like, they can suspend meeting. They can, um, with everything that has to do with church life, they have control over that in a public health crisis. Yeah. To the extent that I don't think that we would say that 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 applies in in uh, the United States, we have we have more protections than they do in that that regard. But you you have Trinity Bible Chapel in Ontario. They refuse to close uh, for many of the same reasons that I saw cited. They said, no, we're called to assemble. We're called to uh, read the word, pray the word, sing the word, fellowship with fellow believers. They've now racked up forty million dollars in fines. Oh my goodness, forty million dollars. Which I assure you, even in Canada, means a lot of money. That's a, a <laughs> yeah. staggering amount. Yeah. Um, now, with, without, without speaking too much into Canadian politics, because that's certainly not our area of expertise, this is what the senior pastor um, at Trinity said. Uh, Jacob, Re- I'm going to mispronounce his name. Sean, help me out here. You have French background. <laughs> Jacob Reum, R-E-A-U-M-E, Reum. Probably just room, right? Room? I don't know. Okay, well, in any case, the senior pastor said this, and and he had a fuller statement that, that was released in the news, um, but this is part of his statement because uh, the, the government stepped in, um, they took control of the church building. I think they only did it for a week initially. There was a short time period, but they have the option to extend that for months and months and months if they if they choose to, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But this is the quote uh, from the senior pastor, Pastor Jacob. And I'm quoting from him now. He said, They took our building because they think that it will stop us from worshiping. For 20 years, our church has worshiped together each Lord's Day, and we've met, we've only met in our own building for 11 months. So, the best part of our history, we have not owned a building. We managed just fine to, uh, to gather together without our own building, and now we don't have our own building again. The early church met in the catacombs under Rome, the Covenanters met in fields, John Bunyan led his services in forests. Churches find a way to worship together as surely as water flows downhill. And then he continues, They stole our building, at least temporarily. We'll keep our worship, and we'll keep our fellowship. Many churches around these parts think they still own their buildings, but they they already voluntarily handed their buildings and their people and their worship over to Caesar months ago. Mm. We just forced Caesar to come in and take the building, but we've kept the church. Caesar can have the bricks and mortar. We've kept the church for Jesus. Uh, End quote. Um. That, that pastor in that church, just to give you a little context, and, and Canada is not very far from us, that pastor in that church are facing strong backlash from fellow believers, or at least people that claim the name of Christ in Canada who are openly celebrating, finally, the government has done something against this church yeah. who's standing up against these things. Um, what I would recommend for the Christian is, and this is where a good doctrine comes in, opposition to the government in and of itself is not what we're celebrating or advocating no, no. or talking about. What we are talking about, though, is at what point must we obey God rather than men? Yeah. At what point must the Christian follow God rather than men? And that's what this church is navigating. Um, I'm not a part of that church, and I'm not in their situation, so it's really not on me to say whether they've acted rightly or wrongly, but I applaud the fact that they are trying to do what they feel God is leading them to do, um, even with some dire consequences. Yeah. And once again, just to point it out, that's Canada. 
Um, we're in the United States. We're not that far removed. Well, <clears throat> I was going to say, you know, one thing that I know that you say a lot is how we're not that far from Canada. But I think what most people, what kind of resonates with most people is not the distance, but the language. Right. So, like, you know, if I see, well, we see this all the time, religious persecution in uh, East Asia or religious persecution in the Middle East. And it seems so distant because the language is so foreign to us, mm-hmm. you know, Um but when we see things that happen in Canada or the UK where we can understand what's happening and, um, you know, well, we watch TV shows with these people, you know, in it that we can understand. It, it really, it hits home a little bit more. And, you know, lest you think, lest you be one of those Christians that thinks, well, good, I'm glad that the government shut them down because they were kind of flying in the face of government orders. One of the things also we want to consider is what is it that they're really um, restricting? What is it, you know, what's the kind of the motive behind, we talked about how we, we, we say that we're not really in, uh, under spiritual warfare or not under persecution, you know, a lot of times when it's, I think we talked about this when we talked about COVID, you know, months ago, but we talked about, well, it's not really persecution because it's for this reason. Right. But it's it's never for the explicit reason of, we hate what you're saying about Jesus, we hate what you're saying about God, so we we want to hurt you. It's always... Something else. You're leading. You're leading this into the next topic so well. This is such a good setup. I hope that I'm going where you think I'm going. No, you. Yeah, you are. But it's always about something else because some other stuff that happened in the news this week was because was uh, people who were literally either just posting pictures of the Bible mm-hmm. or just saying, "Here's what the Bible says." Yeah. So in the UK, because I talked about English speaking first. In the UK, this is in London, which is notoriously. Uh, I don't know what the right word is, but um, what's the mayor's name of London? It's Sadiq Khan, right, or something. I believe, yeah. Anyway, that sounds. Um, but he notoriously famous for for having very very liberal policies, you know, politically, but also there's a lot of anti-Christian sentiment, you know, from the kind of from the top down, really, mm. uh, in London. But there was a pastor, John Sherwood, and he was arrested in London on Friday, the 23rd of April, and he was detained overnight in prison for reading Genesis 1 and for saying, here's what God says about marriage. Now, we, we I think you and Among I... Among talk- other things, I think they complained because he pointed out that man is made in God's image, mm-hmm. that ma- uh, marriage is between a man and a woman, and that God instituted it. Yeah. And for that, they said he was triggering them with hate speech. Yeah, here's and- what the article uh, says. It says, after speaking on the final verses in Genesis 1, where it says that God created mankind in his own image, creating the male and female, so not regarding homosexuality, but like that God has designed particular genders, you know, being two of them, uh, a number of police officers appeared on the scene. Reportedly, three complaints had been received about the pastor's teaching, and the police accused him of causing alarm and distress to the public. After speaking to the police, and remember this man, John Sherwood, is in his 70s, John resumed his preaching, speaking on freedom of speech, so that's not really preaching, but go ahead. Uh, however, a couple of bystanders in the crowd apparently shouted that John's preaching was, quote, homophobic and, quote, hate speech. John spoke to the police once more. What quickly followed was a brutal arrest where a, an officer took away the pastor's Bible, pulled him for the, from the steps where he had been preaching, then three officers gathered around to handcuff him and take him away. Wow. So we—this had obviously had nothing to do with COVID. This was, you know, his, quote-unquote, inflammatory remarks— 
that came from the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you and I talk about this a lot. We talk about the validity, not the validity, but the efficacy. No, that's the right word. The perspicuity. <laughs> we, we, we talk about the, like, is, is street preaching effective? Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. we talk about yeah. that a lot. Like, because to be fair, if I'm walking down the road, if, you know, we live near Memphis, Tennessee, and I'm going down Beale Street, which we don't do a lot, but when you do, there are a lot of people that like to shout things in the street. You know, right. maybe they're drunk. Maybe they're, I don't know, maybe they're those, what are the Beale Street flippers, the guy who like, the guys who do the gymnastics or whatever in the mm-hmm. street. You don't really pay attention to them. You know, if you live here, you're not really looking for them. Or at best, you know, or sometimes at worst, they're just, oh, hey, that guy's a little off his rocker and he's just shouting things in the street. And you, you know, from your, from your, uh, you know, history in law enforcement, you know, (laughs) you know that all too well. I don't, I don't know, you know, about street preaching in our day and age. However, the reason why he was arrested, the reason given, you know, the official statement on why he, he was arrested was for hate speech and homophobic remarks. And all he did was, read granted he was doing it publicly but he was reading from Genesis 1 yeah um a, se- a second article that we saw that was like this yeah yeah um so Marcy and I we were reading about like the 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 nicest pl- or no, what was it how did they phrase it like the happiest places I think oh, to yeah. live in the world I always say it's Scandinavia yeah it's always the Nordic countries right over there you've got you know Finland and Sweden and all of all of those uh, those countries that are nestled there and, and typically when they do these reports those are always the quote unquote happiest places now you could say like how do they measure those metrics and how do you how do you come about that but you know typically we we think of these places as like these. Uh, utopias yeah kind of a utopian paradise and and things of that in the news uh, a christian member of the finnish parliament one of their mps um, is facing six years in prison um, for committing three crimes each of which carries a, a sentence of up to two years in prison so she's been a member for i think a couple of decades uh, of their government um, she's a member of the evangelical lutheran church in finland and she's facing six years in prison for Posting a picture of Romans one, a pic, yeah, a pic, essentially a picture of of Romans one. Um, she she voiced her confusion with the church's stance on gender roles and marriage, and posted a picture of scripture. And for that, she is facing potentially prison time. She's a medical doctor. Yeah. So you could even say that she's speaking from a position of medical expertise on these issues. Yeah. Questioning the church's stance um, biblically and historically on these issues and faces up to six years. This is what she had to say. I cannot accept that voicing my religious beliefs could mean imprisonment, she said in a statement. I do not consider myself guilty of threatening, slandering, or insulting anyone. My statements were all based on the Bible's teachings on marriage and sexuality. She continued, I will not back down from my views. I will not be intimidated into hiding my faith. The more Christians keep silent on controversial themes, the narrower the space for freedom of speech gets. So yeah. even in a very developed, very Western, very, uh, uh, like you said, like kind of a utopianly viewed society, speaking what the Bible says is so condemned and so ostracized that now, she's facing possible prison time. Something that's different in her uh, state than the street preachers is like you couldn't accuse her of being belligerent because, you know, several things... Apparently, this has been going on since, I think, 2019 to where, you know, she's been consistently... They've been tacking on... Uh, what do you call it? 
charges, mm-hmm. essentially. You know, and and I don't know how the legal system works very slowly in every country, but I, I don't know how this is working. But I, I was looking at some kind of uh, commentary about this. And there were people who say they know her personally or she's like a representative for their area. And they were saying she's very uh, nothing. And they, they they linked her tweets and linked what she said. And nothing was confrontational. Nothing was. And I, in essence, you know, we know the gospel is a stumbling block. And, and what scripture says is offensive to the world. But she wasn't doing it in a—it wasn't against the world. It was against uh, kind of pointed at the church because right. her particular denomination, the Evangelical Lutheran Church there in Finland— was kind of capitulating with the culture and, you know, kind of agreeing with the cultural's view of sexuality, and she was commenting and saying, no, this is not right, you cannot call yourself a Christian and, you know, disregard Scripture this way. It had nothing to do with the culture, and yet she is being, you know, sentenced to, or potentially going to be sentenced to prison time. She's at least being dragged through the mud, and she's a member of the parliament. I remember when they used to discuss hate, hate crime and hate speech, one of the factors that, and I think it's always just stuck around for decades now of legal legal precedents, they've always tried to weigh how something is received by the perceived victim um, mm. as weighing what the crime is. And if, if that's confusing, this is what I mean. So, Sean, if you say to me, Josh, your hat looks nice, and if I receive that as you threatening me, um, the crime can be weighed based on how I received it, not yeah. based on what you said nor meant. Yeah. And that's kind of what you see. That that hasn't been universally applied. That's always been kind of a legal gray area that they, they seem to bounce back and forth on. But in something like this, what did she say? Was it hateful un, un, under any normative definition of the word hate speech? Would we think of it that way? Well, no, what she did say was God has said something, and yeah. because it's received in that way, it's now interpreted as hateful and yeah. bigoted. Yeah. I, they, these are and in, in in all of these instances. Well, in the I, I've known lots of people who have who I'm not going to say they've been like those churches in Canada that have been like, yeah, good for you, Canadian government, for shutting them down because yada yada yada. I you know I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that the people that I've met have been like that, but they have to an extent. You know, really kind of agreed that churches should shut down out of the uh, out of respect for public safety and you know public health. But then when you have instances where you've got towns that are opening up to everything else and a man standing on the corner and he's reading the Bible and he's pulled down and put in jail because of what he said is wrong, that's not the same. It's not, you know, he's not presenting a threat to public health. Or a woman who serves her government and serves her country in the parliament, and she says, here are my convictions from what the Bible says, here are my convictions, and she's even even addressing it to other Christians, not you know, the the world, not her constituents even, not people who support her, but other Christians. It's, it's we, we can't overlook that this is what we're fighting against. It's not, it's never as simple as what the stated reason is. It's never as simple as the surface level. Yeah, and, and I, before we move in, we've got another news article I wanted to, to mention, but we I, th- I think we, we could discuss this for just a second. You mentioned at the beginning, Sean, like, why does this affect the person who's just listening to the Good Doctrine podcast, well, yeah. the person in the pew, let's say. Um, you're, not a, you're not a vocational minister. You don't, you know, you don't run in these, these circles and engage in these arguments on a day-to-day, day-to-day basis. But it will impact you, and this is how it will impact you. Um, you're being told to affirm certain things by the culture around us constantly. Yeah. Um, constantly being told to affirm this and affirm that. However, what you're 
either implicitly or explicitly being told is not to affirm the things that contradict that culture. And there's going to be a time at which you will find yourself silent on things God has said in Scripture, which we now find unpalatable. Mm -hmm. Things in Scripture which... You know, Scripture itself refers to as a stumbling block or a uh, an offense to the world around us, something that is nonsensical to the unsaved man or woman. Yeah. Um, you're going to find yourself, you know, for example, finding it distasteful to talk about other people being uh, completely dead in their sins and trespasses, in rebellion against a holy God, deserving of eternal hell and punishment and damnation for those sins, in need of a perfect Savior, not good enough the way that they come to the table, so to speak, having nothing to present before God. All of those things, even just the basics of salvation, those things are going to be distasteful to the point of you will feel the pressure to not say them in public. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nicer then if I could just live a good life in front of my neighbor? I don't need to tell my coworker about you know his sin in need of salvation, I can just live well in front of him, and that will somehow win him to the gospel. Hmm. This is the implicit ways that you will be pressured, if you're not explicitly pressured. Yeah. Um, you may very well be in a position where you cannot speak and are told not to speak. Um, you hold a position in education. You hold a position at a, at a public school, and you're explicitly told you may not voice those opinions in open air. And, and one... And I'm cautiously giving this caution, but one one cautious caution that I would caution you with is to <laughs> is to consider if it doesn't sound if it if if what Josh is saying doesn't sound that bad to you, maybe consider like are you doing the work that you're called to do as a Christian now yeah. when you can speak in in you know the in the environment that we're in in the United States at least and especially our current environment you know in the the Southern United States we are absolutely not and I know people get. They get up in arms every time uh, a school around here says, well, we're not going to pray before the football game, or we're not going to say under God and our, the Pledge of Allegiance. But they, every you have the op- opportunity to speak clearly God's Word, you know, in the workplace, or speak clearly God's Word in, uh, you know, in, in school and not be fired for it. Like, we, we've seen that countless times in our uh, current culture. But if you're not, if you're not doing those things now... It's not going to hurt your feelings all that bad when the government tells you to be quiet. Yeah, as these as these things as Christian as Christians are are kind of pushed to the sidelines of our culture. If that's not rubbing against the grain for you, then that means you've yeah. already been very comfortable being in the corner anyway. Yeah, not being a vocal witness. Um, you know, we we mentioned I think it was last time on this podcast we mentioned Soviet Russia and how Soviet Russia would have laws about if your parents spoke about Christian values in the home, the children were instructed in schools to come and then report their parents so that their parents could be dragged from their homes. Well, that's the case. It's the case in North Korea now. You know, um, we don't have to think about Soviet, uh, you know, the Soviet states, because we were talking about the Polish pastor in Canada, uh, you know, who had kind of grown up in the communist bloc. But But my my point with that is, like, they didn't get there overnight. We made that point last week, but it's the whole frog in boiling water. You know, if you put put a frog in lukewarm water and slowly rise it to a boil, the frog won't really react to its surroundings because it's a gradual increase. Well, how do you get to that point in society? You get to that point... Right now, there are already pressures upon Christians to not speak, whether it's in public or whether it's at your vocation or whether it's just considered publicly um, just 
offensive speech like we were just reading these news stories, there is pressure on you to not proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would dare say there have been for 2,000 years, whether you've recognized them or not, in various forms. Um, Sometimes it's implicit. It's just, you know, it was unpopular for the Thessalonian church to proclaim the gospel. Paul had been chased out of town for it, and yet they were proclaiming it. That's a little unpopular. Sometimes it comes like the boot heel of Roman oppression comes down on you, and it's very explicitly... uh, prohibited for you to speak the faith, but there's always pressure against Christians. What we're suggesting is find those lines, and if you're not being a vocal a vocal proponent for the faith that you proclaim, start now, yeah. because that is part and parcel of the Christian faith, yeah. is standing for what we believe in and proclaiming it to a lost and dying world. Now, you did mention that we, we were kind of considering, how does this affect people in the pews? Because for us, it's very easy to say, well, if you're not being a vocal proponent, then start now. And I can say, sure, tomorrow evening when I teach the Bible to a room of a you know a captive audience, I'm going to be very clear, and I'm going to be very vocal. But for those people who are sitting there that are not um, necessarily going to be the ones, we, we, and we, we talk about this all the time, but it, it's when we talk about being vocal and standing for your faith— to the introvert, sometimes it almost sounds prohibitive and like, oh, no, I have to be an extrovert to do that. But I think that we we fundamentally misunderstand what gospel proclamation is because we think that it is only street preaching, that it is only right. you know yeah, that yeah. it is only door to door evangelism. That we think it's going to the park and handing someone a tract and saying, "Where do you go to church? Do you know Jesus?" But the Bible always presents it, especially for just the 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 normal person. Is there's this uh, uh, well, even in the Great Commission, as you go, so. I always try to encourage our Calvary group that you will, every single day, encounter lost people. Right. Every single day, you will go to work, and there are lost people there that you already have a relationship with. Talk to them about spiritual things. Talk to them about the gospel. Uh, invite them to your church to hear the gospel. You know, share the good news of Jesus. Talk about what God's done in your life. And, um, you know, I, I know it can sound like a cop-out sometimes to say, we don't have to stand up on a street corner and preach, but... We have essentially a captive audience in our homes if you have children. Yes. Teach your children the gospel. We are uh, supposed to be mouthpieces, not just, like you said, living a good Christian life in front of people, but mouthpieces. And so as you go, if you work for a phone company and you're in people's homes, or a phone, you know, like you work for AT&T or something like that, you know, where you have to go and, and work on the side of the road, and you will encounter co-workers who don't know the Lord. You will encounter people on the street who don't know the Lord. Yeah, we Share believe the... in Christian vocation, which means God's put yeah. you in that position, yeah, that yeah. job for a reason and for a calling. But I think people feel like they have to be extroverts in order to defend the faith. If but that's you... the case, then both of us are in trouble. I know, yeah, I would be, I'm a terrible, <laughs> I would be awful. Absolutely. But um, no, you, you, you know, the, the Word of God, the gospel should always be on your lips. You should always be ready to uh, have an answer. You know, this is where we get the idea of apologetics. Have an answer for the hope that lies within you. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm I'm glad you mentioned families, though, because yeah. let me mention these these two last That's news good. articles, and I want to talk about families real quick. So the two the two news articles that I saw was first there was a article, and where was this written? The Christian Post. Christian Post ran an article called Is Christian Cohabitation the New Norm? And essentially, to, to boil this article down, because the title gives it away, obviously, um, what they find is is that most Christians find no problem with cohabitation. So a guy who 
you know, is attracted to some girl and now they're boyfriend and girlfriend and they just decide to move in together. Christians really have no problem with that, um, especially if they think, well, they'll get married eventually anyway. Christians have even less of a problem. And then the younger the Christians get, typically the less of a problem they have with that. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you were about to say something. Well, I mean, I, I was going to say, like, I mean, it was this, in 2019, it was the Pew Research, which is mm-hmm. like that that really huge Christian uh, research company, I guess. Right. They exist just to make polls. But it said 58% of white evangelicals said that cohabitation is acceptable if a couple plans to marry. And, so and, and go, to give you yeah. just background of the way Pew does it, they, they break it down by race and denomination and affiliation and stuff like that. That's why it mentions white evangelicals. That's a that's a typical sure. uh, you know standard block within statistics. Sure, but that's I mean that's significant. It is significant sig- and, and shocking. And, yeah, and it should be shocking. Yeah, um, I, I read that article and I was reading that article in conjunction with uh, Bill Gates and his wife. Oh, what is her name? Melinda. Melinda, thank you. So uh, Bill Gates and his wife are having a divorce, and of course that's a newsworthy divorce because I think he's worth, I don't know, like... billion dollars. Yeah, several trillion bajillion dollars. He's um, very wealthy, so that's a, that's a very you know noteworthy divorce, but every single news article headline I saw covering the Bill Gates divorce said that Bill and... Melinda. Melinda, thank you. Had they were concluding their marriage after 27 years, uh-huh. or another another article would say, well, um, they had decided to end their marriage after a 27 year run. Every time <laughs> it was the sort of phrasing that I'd hear from somebody that like, well, after you know he dedicated himself to basketball for 10 years, and now he's decided to kind of hang his shoes up. It's it's as if the ending of a marriage is expected. They yeah, had a 27 yeah. year run, and they're now concluding it, and that that's just the sort of thing that happens now. I'm not so naive as to think that the world will not act like the world. The world will act as the world does, and it will think as the world does. And of course, the world does not hold the just intrinsic respect and value for marriage that we as Christians do, noting that it is a God-given covenant between a man and a woman that's supposed to reflect Christ's love for his church. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a huge thing for Christians. But I started thinking about that in the context of families. There is... If you do not feel that you are under pressure as a Christian right now, let me assure you that if you are a wife or a husband, um, if you are a mother or a father, or if you're a son or a daughter, and you are functioning within a Christian home, you are absolutely in the sights of the enemy. Yeah, You are yeah. doing spiritual warfare by living out a godly home life within your family. Yeah, And that's something that I think we miss a lot of times, because you may be... Um, you know, you may be a Christian mom who's a stay-at-home mom, or you may be a Christian father who is very stretched at work, but you still try to carve out those those you know intentional family times or to speak you even, to your kids. In our culture, if you make Sunday morning church a priority, sure, that's that's you. That's to the detriment of. 99% of the activities your children could be involved in. Absolutely. Or your, you know, your leisure. Or if you're a Christian husband who's trying his best at least trying to ground your marriage in godly values and you and your wife attend a church together and plug into the ministries thereof, that is spiritual warfare. Yeah. And it's something that the world does not just find confusing, but the world hates that. Um yeah. the the Christian family, which is the building block of society, is something that's very much in the crosshairs of this this cultural, um, this kind of revolution or zeitgeist that we're undergoing in Western society. Yeah. 
but it's really not a new thing in the in the grand scheme of things. Right. Um, I was watching a documentary, I guess, yesterday from Heart Cry Missionary Society on Germany. Um, and they were... It I was, like it already. Continue. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's kind of negative. Oh, it wouldn't. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, you know German, uh, Germany and the Frankfurt School and, like, the higher criticism, like, I mean, of, of the, okay, the Bible. Sure. Germany has produced probably more liberal theologians than, like, anywhere else in the world, really. Right. But these two German men who are, you know, uh, faithful, Bible-believing, Orthodox Christians found themselves in a seminary that they were the outcast because they believed the Bible was the, actually the Word of God. So, right. and, and in the documentary, it was saying that, like, you know, they're like, how, how could these people say they're Christians if they don't even believe the Bible's the Word of God? But they were the ones that were looked at like they were weirdos. Right. Um, but they were saying that every day, the, the way they chose to raise their children, believing in the Bible, and, you know, raising them in the, the fear and admonition of the Lord, like the Bible says, they were viewed as the ones who, they, almost like they were abusing their children because they were teaching them these biblical principles. So right. it's, I mean, it's not even a new thing, um, I suppose, in the southern United States where we value our freedoms and our, our, our bodily autonomy and our, um, I guess, intellectual autonomy where we can just do whatever we want. And if I want to go in my backyard and throw a grenade, well, I'm darn well <laughs> going to go throw a grenade in my backyard. I have 147 acres, and I'll do what I want. I think some states out west share that mentality with us. Well, yeah, yeah. Judging from the gender reveal parties that have started forest <laughs> yeah. fires out there. Y'all stop shooting Tannerite. That's um, right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not It's not really a... It's not a new thing, but it's it's an, it's an it's an uncomfortable reality for a lot of people in the West. And we always say the West. We understand this podcast reaches more than just the southern United States and, and even the U.S., but, right. but it... I don't know. It really seems to chafe in Americans right now that like this is even. Why I have to stand up for something that should just be my God-given right or whatever, right. you know. But anyway, one as Christians, I think we're also uncomfortable being the minority. We're uncomfortable yeah. feeling, and I, I, when I think I, when as I, people in general, we're uncomfortable being the minority. Probably, but I mean, with, with Christians especially, you know, I don't mean as far as like I think Christians have always so evangelical Christians in America have have long nurtured the. Um, the mentality that we are the, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to use a, a word like remnant with all the baggage that it carries, but you know, that, that we are kind of the, the persecuted few, right? Mm, that yeah. we're, we're the persecuted, we're the few. And yet when it actually comes to our normal everyday normative living, we expect to be the majority. We don't actually expect, you know, we'll talk about persecution, but when actual persecution comes, we find it very upsetting and off-putting. Yeah. Um, why are these things happening in this good country, in this good state? Why am I having to, to undergo these things? Why would there be a challenge to me living out my my faith in Christ? Um, maybe that's just in every culture that there's, um, when the rubber meets the road and when it actually becomes inconvenient or even dangerous for one to live out one's faith... Um, that we kind of react against that, but um, I think that's I think that's worthwhile for the Christian in 2021, wherever you are, whether you're in America or elsewhere, um, to think about those things that Christ said: "In this world, you will have persecution, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world." Yeah, you follow Christ; He's promised you tribulation in this world. Um, how will you then stand firm against what comes? Yeah. How then will you ground yourself with hopefully good doctrine? good thinking, good practices as a Christian um, for whatever's lying ahead. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've kind of talked mostly about the the enemy of the world, or like the enemy as represented by the, the world system, you mm-hmm. know? Um, 
secular governments, secular people, but what happens when the quote-unquote enemy, or I'll just say the other guy, the other side, are not, it's not the world, but it's like within, right? It might be like the local church or the denomination you're a part of. How do we, because this this podcast is really, we, we kind of identified all these things that are happening in the world around us and in the news, and it's, this podcast is really about standing firm and, and holding fast to the, the faithful doctrine that we've been taught, but how do we do that in the context of, how does the average Christian do that in the context of the local church or the denomination you're a part of, or just, you know, with other Christians? Yeah, because you can, I mean, you can essentially bet money. You know, we mentioned the the example of the uh, the Canadian church uh, trinity earlier in the in the podcast. You can bet money that there's other Christian pastors and Christian churches, and I say you can bet money. I mean, they're they're in the news right now, so that's yeah. not even a good wager. They're in the news saying we are Christians and we are decrying everything that other church is doing as ungodly and sinful, and they should probably you know have their building taken away for forever and never mm-hmm. come back. Mm-hmm. Um, that's at least one church's opinion in their area. So you can essentially bet money that if you stand for the faith when it becomes socially or politically or uh, whatever you want to call it, when it becomes against the grain of what is around you and inconvenient for you to stand for the faith, there will be those who bear the name of Christian, possibly even Christian pastors, who will come against you and say that what you're doing is wrong. Yeah. So I wrote a couple of articles recently for the uh, the Journal of the Baptist Missionary Association of Mississippi, and, and one of these I was trying to encourage people to think about fighting where the battle rages. Um, fighting fighting where the fight has come to you. If you are a Christian soldier, you are called to contend for the faith. Um, where do you fight those battles? You know, I, I drew people's attention to, for example, 1 Timothy 1.18. Um, Paul tells Timothy that in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, right? In, in Jude 3, he says that he found it necessary to write appealing for you to contend or fight for the faith that was once delivered to the saints, you're called to contend for these things. You're not called Christian to passively sit from the sideline watching brothers and sisters fall on the battlefield, fighting to their last breath, and you sit by as some sort of spectator yeah. um, watching the battle unfold. Consider Martin Luther's words. Martin Luther, who very much put his money where his mouth was on this issue. He put his mouth a lot of places, too. Put so. his, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Said lots of things and came under a lot of scrutiny for those things. But Martin Luther facing, just think about this, exile at best and death more probably yeah. than exile. Yeah. And Martin Luther said this, If I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking... I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace Hmm. if he flinches at that point. End quote. In other words, you Christian are not called to pick the battles you would choose to fight, nor the ones that are easy to engage in. You're called to stand and fight for every battle that attacks the truth of God, even in its smallest portion, yeah. if it is chipping away at the faith once delivered to the saints, you are called to contend for the God whom you serve. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that we are contentious, argumentative, bullheaded, stubborn, uh, mean people. And I think it's where most Christians would 
would err on caution, right? Like, yeah, well, I don't want to. I don't want to cause arguments, but though. It, but again, we I always cause quote, division. We always quote Vody Bauckham because he's great and he has great quotes. But he says the eleventh commandment is "Thou shalt be nice," and none of the other commandments matter. Right. Uh, you know, we we have, and he's being facetious and obviously speaking sarcastically. But we have this idea that if we disagree with someone. We are being mean. And Especially if they're from within our own circles. Yeah, and, and if I'm being mean, I'm not being Christ-like, and they're, so I'll just avoid conflict, or right. I'll just avoid controversy. Sometimes I'll give people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they just don't know that there's, that, that this is something they need to combat or, or, or speak against. I don't know. Like I said, benefit of the doubt. I would encourage you to this, though. You know, I mentioned, I mentioned Jude 3, and yeah. I mentioned First uh, Timothy, and... Um, Titus also plays into this. Just consider the passages that talk about contending for the faith, fighting for the faith. Oftentimes, what Paul is at least referring to is those from within your own pews. Yeah. So, Timothy, fight those who are within your own circle who are professing things that are not Christ-honoring, not holding to the traditions which we've passed on to you, not holding to the faith once delivered to the saints. You contend for those things. And none of it, none of it is preference. None of it is... Uh, with regard to style, or like we used to do it this way and now we don't do it. It's, does the Bible say this? Yeah, this is, let me, can can we kind of just clarify with an illustration? So this is not you saying, you know what, Uh, Sean and Josh are bringing up a good point. We used to sing more hymns than we do now, so I'm going to go to church and I'm going to fight with every Christian I can find over hymns. Yeah, Of course not, that's preference. What we are saying is, it is unpopular and will not get you ahead in this world to say God made them male and female in His image to glorify Him. That will get you nowhere, and yet if the Bible confesses it in two of the most key chapters in the Bible, you confess it, and you confess it consistently. Even if that's not the battle you want to fight, it's a battle that's been brought to you. Right. That's I, <laughs> I like that. Um, I mean, we we when we when we align ourselves with Christ and when when we are bought with Christ's blood, we don't pick and choose what we believe in, what we follow, what we defend. Just like I mean, uh, an American soldier or a soldier from any country in the world, you defend the principles of that country by right. going to war. You know, kind of under the command of uh, that country's commander in chief. I really. Uh, I really like this quote that we just saw this morning from Dr. Strahan. It's not from him. It's from a man, a pastor named Richard Caldwell in Texas. But he said, I think it true to say that some of the most courageous and useful people in the history of the world were celebrated after events proved them right, but mocked at the time their leadership was needed and displayed. Mm. Listen to this. This is cool. (laughs) Tourists visit battlefields after outcomes are determined. And so, you know, later on, uh, Dr. Strahan says, friends, don't be a tourist. Play your part to promote and defend sound doctrine. Mm. Um, That's good. We, we, you know, it kind of made me think about uh, the first... I was born, and I think George Bush Sr. was president when I was born. And then, so the first president during my lifetime really was Bill Clinton. And then I remember George Bush. But George Bush is the first president I really remember um, doing anything yeah. And I remember the the feelings that surrounded him when I was when he was in the presidency and now looking back how feelings have changed and how some people view him now same with President Obama and President Trump you know you you just wait a couple years and everyone's opinions change but it's very interesting the way they talk about presidents like Ronald Reagan or you know people way before our time the way they talk about Kennedy or uh Roosevelt um that's it's not the way that they were spoken of 
when they were the president, for good or ill. But, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. We always see later on kind of the, the fruit of whatever leadership was taking place. It is true today in, in our modern Christian culture that the people who are most the most staunch defenders of, like, biblical truth and the biblical faith are usually the ones that are thrown under the bus as being uncharitable and unloving and mean. Um, and think about Christian history, and this is one reason uh-huh. why we always try to, to tell people, just, just read Christian history, read those who have come before us, and yeah. learn, from the, learn from their experiences and examples. Um, if, if you just start going through this, Martin Luther, who we just talked about, um, was absolutely accused of being contentious, divisive, bullheaded. And if you read his writings, he didn't he didn't mince words about what he thought. Yeah. But at the same time, he was lambasted in his own time. Charles Spurgeon oh, yeah. was run out of his church, run out of the association that even he... even just secular newspapers would make fun of his appearance. Oh goodness, yes. like they would. I mean, essentially. Like just name calling, like the, yeah. the the London papers. Read about the downgrade controversy. Yeah. He was run out of his own circle, and according to his wife, died of a broken heart in the countryside. Um, now we celebrate him and we love his his journals, but at the time he was run out of town. This I, we could keep naming countless figures throughout Christian history. Yeah. They fought where the battle was, not not the battle they would have chosen. They fought the battle that came to them, and in their own time, they were ostracized by many who called themselves Christians. We now celebrate their legacy. But like you just said, we're celebrating it because the battle's over and and uh, and decided already. I think um, I think maybe we can kind of finish with this when you know talking about defending the faith. But a lot of times we like to see ourselves as heroes. I, I think it's kind of inevitable that as we, Christians, you mean? Yeah, or just in general. Okay. Really, like we watch a movie and it's like, well, oh, I got you. That guy with the big sword and the rippling muscles. That's I would be that guy. I wouldn't be like you know. I, okay, I'm I'm a nerd. Star Trek, right? Star Trek is, has made famous. The red shirts, you know, those extra casts. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were always wearing the red shirts. I'm and that you, guy. You knew they were going to die. Uh, we, we, no, I'm Captain Kirk, right? right? I'm the hero of the story. No, we're, we're more like the extras that are probably going to die on this mission. But, um, or biblically, I'm David. Not, oh, the, not, exact, the, not the cowering Israelite. Oh, I stole your thunder. I'm <laughs> no, sorry. No, no, no. But yeah, that's, that's perfect. We always have that idea that, like, I've got to, I've got to be a Daniel. I'm going to dare to be a Daniel. I'm going to be a, to be David, I'm going to stand up to to Goliath. But when, when in reality, we're no, we're bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar. For most for the most part, this is this is our tendency. We're the ones who are you know not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not Daniel. We're bowing to Nebuchadnezzar because, well, I, ha- I mean, this is the rules. I live in this country. I benefit from Nebuchadnezzar's um, leadership. I of, of course I'll I'll pay him homage. It's only twenty seconds of bowing down. God will understand. Or where the cowering Israelite who won't obey God uh, doesn't care that this giant man is blaspheming our Lord, and we th- oh well you know he's uh, really big. He's really big. They'll probably uh, God, leave. They'll probably leave eventually. God God doesn't want me to be hurt. He you know he wants to prosper me. Yeah. We, we have this idea in our heads that we are the heroes. We look at and 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 we do this when we read our Bible because we think the apostles were so stupid. We think Peter was so stupid. And I'm not blaspheming. I'm saying. Like when you, Jesus told Peter, before the uh, rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Right. And, we, and we think, well, if Jesus would have told me that, I wouldn't have done that. Right. But that's, that is so far from the truth. We are Peter. You know, we are that, that, that coward. We are, but what we're saying now is we don't have the, we don't have the excuse to be that coward. We don't have the excuse to bow to Nebuchadnezzar. Right. Um, if you're a Christian, 
on this side of the cross, you have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling in you. The Holy Spirit, our, the, the, the helper, like the paraclete, uh, Jesus calls him, gives us the strength to stand, gives us right. the strength to endure trials and hardships. We can then follow in the footsteps. And I'm not saying being that David, being that, that Daniel, or being that, you know, um, that light shining in the darkness, so to speak, like, you know, that, that lone person on the mountainside standing for truth. I, I'm not saying that that's in, in, in and of ourselves, we can conjure that up, right. but 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 God has given us the strength to be that person to to stand for truth, and what that might look like for you is obviously going to be different for a pastor or a seminary president or a seminary professor. It's obviously going to be different if you work for Gateway Tire. I don't know, and your manager you know asks you to do something. Unchristian or you know unethical, unethical. Sure. Obviously, standing for truth for you might look. You you don't have a pulpit or a or a platform to speak truth from necessarily, but you always have the opportunity to stand firm uh, and and to do and to believe what Christ has called you to do and to believe. Right. So absolutely. Let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it on up. Um, we are just to reiterate, we are taking a vacation, um, so we'll be off for the next month. Here's a couple of things I'd recommend to you in the meantime, though. Um, check out, first of all, if you um, don't already follow City of God podcast, you could check out City of God. Um, that's Owen Strayan's podcast. It's through Midwestern. Um, he announced yesterday that he is moving to be the provost at Grace Bible Theological Seminary there in Conway, Arkansas, which is Super exciting. Uh, we're friends of Jeff Johnson's. Uh, we're excited to see what God's going to do down there in Conway. But follow City of God podcast. You could also follow Media Gratier. Mm-hmm. Um, Media Gratier does several different um, things. They have a podcast. They've done some videos that you can access online. Yeah, and they're based in um, New Albany, so if you want to go visit them. They're right up the road, yeah, <laughs> yeah, in New Albany. They do fantastic work, though. Very well researched yeah. and produced. Very encouraging stuff. Their pastor uh, is, and I, I, forget, I forget his name, but he's actually on the... He's an adjunct professor at this Grace Bible Seminary that's in Conway, and he is on the board, I think, of Heart Cry Missionary Society, which I mentioned earlier. Fantastic. So he's kind of, you know, if that... And Heart Cry Missionary Society is a uh, kind of, uh, it's not Paul Washer's thing, but it kind of is. He's the he's the president of it. So if that tells you where they're coming from, you know, if you know those names, yeah, that's something. We've recommended other ones, so by all means, go back and and uh, and check out those other podcasts because we've listed many at, at various times. I was really expecting you to say oodles, and I'm kind of disappointed. <laughs> that I was you trying didn't say oodles. <laughs> I self consciously try not to say these words so okay. you won't smirk. Well, there's oodles out there. But in the meantime, shoot us an email, gooddoctrinepodcast yeah. at gmail.com. Love yep. to hear from you. Facebook page will be down for May. So, um, <laughs> you know, we're sad about that. No, I, I, I will I will direct you to other podcasts. Obviously, you know, our good friends at Mercy Hill, product, they have a podcast called Products of Grace. Uh, there's the Ligonier podcast, which there are various and sundry Ligonier podcasts. My favorite is, simply put, um, and it's probably your favorite too, because Barry Cooper is the man. And if he ever hears me, we're gonna be best friends. And I'm I'm moving to Europe, so I might meet him. Anyway. Strong note, strong <laughs> note to end on. Good stuff. Well, in the meantime, we do hope you will join us after our vacation. In the meantime, we pray that your good doctrine will continue to establish good living. Mm-hmm.